Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's Friday. Good afternoon to you. Welcome to this final edition of The Call for this trading week. Ten stocks picked by you. You know the drill. Two expert guests all over an hour. I'm Nadine Blaney and a warm welcome to those of you watching us on Twitter and YouTube. If you don't know already, we do this program every weekday, Monday to Friday, 12 p.m. in Sydney. And you can catch up via the podcast as well. Now, let's get to our guests of the day. Friday lineup in the house. Rudy Filipek van Dyke from FN Arena. Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Welcome, guys. Nice to see you. Looking forward to the weekend, Claude? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, we've got a few easings of restrictions here in Canberra as well, so we're now allowed to have gatherings of 25 people outdoors, so definitely looking forward to getting together with my friends. That's awesome. Really good to see. Really good to see you around here, Rudy. I know you've been a while since you've been down at Barangaroo, but you know, this week seeing people in the restaurants and cafes, you can feel a lot of the life coming back. And apparently the weather's supposed to be good in Sydney this weekend. So I think uh, consumer confidence is going to be one to watch, isn't it? Yes, and, and I'm not sure about weather forecasts. I mean, oh. uh, we, have, we, we haven't seen the rain that was forecast, so maybe we won't see the sun that's been forecast. But anyway, you never know. I mean, the forecast of the weather, it's like forecasting the share market. I mean, <laughs> half of it is correct, half of it isn't. Right? Got a bit and, of a soft spot if, for if, both if, the share and market and weather forecasters, so there you go. And if we're talking about reopening economies, try to get a haircut. I'm the living proof of trying to get a haircut. Everyone is doing one. I Some win this argument, others. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I don't want to waste any time because we are going to start with our stocks for a crash series. So Kashi's been asking his guests, our guests, if there was a significant pullback. We're not talking a 5% correction. We're talking, you know, a big sell-off. What company do you have your eye on that you would like to pick some up on the cheap? Claude, can I start with you? Of course. Uh, so... Given the question, I had a few things in mind. Uh, first of all, when I'm buying something during a crash, if everything's going down, I want to buy something that I have a lot of um, confidence in. The reason for that is when shares are um, crashing, I get scared and I get hesitant to buy. So that's why this kind of uh, exercise is very useful because if I've said previously, hey, I want to buy this when it's down, I'm more likely to actually go through with it when the opportunity arises. So what I chose... And then the second factor is I want something that will go down in a crash, right? So the stock that I chose is a company that I do own a tiny amount of shares in called Australian Ethical Investments. I'm sure anybody around my age watching this definitely knows what this company is. It's been on your Facebook feed for the last three years. You probably can't avoid it if you're interested in investing. Um, and that really is why it's a, a high quality company because what is so cool about Australian Ethical Investments is its main important growing client base are millennials not gen z not boomers millennials and this is a key time um to have millennials as superannuation clients so they're super they're fund managers super fund right and so uh basically millennials are reaching that point of their career where they're putting more into super they're like getting they're earning higher salaries now and that's probably going to continue to go up for the next few years on average but they're also still a really long time away from taking their super out so it has a really good um, setup there, and those people are going to like keep keep on putting their money into the fund over time, and so that's great. Look, there's also the fact, and I think we've got we'll talk about this a bit, but fund managers, um, they're not software companies, they're not amazing business models, but they are quite good because if you're managing one billion dollars, you can probably expand that to two billion dollars without really growing the investment team very much at all. The regulatory stuff, the legal, it's all sort of a fixed base almost so they can scale very well of course then you've got the other uh, tailwind that um, these guys have a very strong brand in ethical investing which itself is on a bit of a growth trajectory it's um there are certain people that sort of really against esg investing they think it's stupid or whatever 
but they're gradually losing the argument, even though your coal stocks are up, you know, once every five years, they have to crow about it. But the fact is that the long term, coal stocks are down, right? And ESG investors are doing better. So it depends. Yeah, maybe ESG looks stupid in little periods, but in the long term, it's winning and it should attract more money. And I think we're going to keep seeing that. So it really ticks all the boxes. Only problem, this is trading on 110 times earnings, which even for all of the good qualities I've described, seems very, maybe a bit too much. It wasn't long ago, it was half that. So because fund managers are leveraged to the market, when the overall market goes down, their fees will go down as well. So one would hope that Australian ethical investments share price gets hits really hard in a crash. And that's when I want to be buying. Okay, got it. Thank you. AEF is a ticker code for Australian ethical. For a crash, Rudy, what would you have on your list? Well, I feel a little bit sad now because in in the in the subsequent to uh, to Claude's uh, uh, reasoning, I should have picked Macquarie uh, because for all those people who doubt that uh, ESG investing will 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 have a benefit, uh, today Morgan Stanley has increased its price target for Macquarie to two hundred and forty dollars, and that is because Macquarie is the vanguard in Australia. Globally, one might say, as an asset manager in green energy, in ESG, in sustainability, etc., etc., etc. But mm -hmm. I didn't pick Macquarie, but I would buy Macquarie, by the way, if it pulls back heavily. Um, I picked uh, ResMed, and I picked ResMed for um, similar reasons as uh, just mentioned by by Claude. I am very confident that it is a a very long-term, uh, very rewarding exposure. Uh, it has trends that support its uh, business model. It is linked, which is to the, which is to the credit of, of, of management. It is linked now to telehealth, uh, which basically means that uh, healthcare is moving out of the hospitals uh, into people's homes. Um, and uh, just as a side remark, over the past 10 years, mind you, the share price has appreciated by more than 1,100%, uh, which, which gives you a little bit of an idea of how well those shares have performed. And that is a reflection of how well this business, which is not the same as a share price, but how well this business is being run, positioned, and has performed. Resonance. I would, to be honest, to be honest, I would buy it here. It's, well, it's, that's it what I was. Has, you stole the words out already, of my mouth. Yes, I mean, do you need to wait for a crash? Back. No, it has already pulled back from forty dollars. I think it's a forty-dollar plus stock. In particular, if you give it more time than the next year or so, so it's it's already a buy here. All right, so ResMed, and I'm going to throw Macquarie in there as well, just because, yeah. Rudy. Yeah, okay, I good would, one. I thought that was yes. a good idea too. Remind me to actually do that in a crash. Yeah. Like a bit of a Australian ethical. Yes, maybe a exactly. Can we all remind each other because yes. I suffer yes. from, you know, hindsight. Can we all remind each other? When Macquarie, when Macquarie sells off, we should buy. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> Deal, done. Let's get on to the companies that have been nominated by our viewers, shall we? And the first one is coming from Shahana. Asking about Autonate, a company I know you guys are familiar with. AD8 is the ticker code. She says, he says a quality company, good growth potential, reopening trade. But any risk, and this is the angle of a chip shortage and perhaps costs going up. It has had a recent pullback. Is it time to buy for a long-term hold? Uh, Claude, let's go with you. Uh, lucky me. Uh, so I think as a testament to the quality of the stocks we've got on the show today, this is only my third favorite stock, although I do own shares in it. And for those not familiar, you know, basically what's so cool about this company is it has the technology that uh, allows audio and, and now sort of video systems, but let's just stick with audio systems to communicate instead of over wires, over fiber optics, right? And this is a sort of ability that all large audio systems need now if they're modern. So. These guys have 20 times, almost, sorry, almost 20 times the sort of reach of their nearest competitor, which means that basically all manufacturers, so think Yamaha, who's a shareholder, or um, Bose, or any of the big audio manufacturers need to have these chips in their equipment so that their equipment can interact with, you know, other equipment from other providers. So they're called um, OEMs original equipment manufacturers. So these guys grow by getting more design wins with new OEMs to put their chip in their products. And then they just keep on selling the chips every time the other guys sell a product. And um, 
that's why I like it because you can see that's a network effect. It gets stronger and stronger over time as they get um, more mm. dominant and there's no comp competition in the end, we hope. So to address the original question, um, our questioner is worried about the supply chain mm. pressures with the chips. And look, all I can say is I re-listened to the conference call, which is great, by the way, and they said we're um, very actively managing their supply with semiconductor manufacturers, but there are risks associated with chip supply. And that essentially means that, um, you know, yes, you're right to worry about that. And maybe there's downside there. But the really important thing is that they said they've been relatively conservative with their guidance. So it's sort of, and, and they said there's upside if the supply chain issues abate. So to me, mm. that says the company's sort of aware of this problem and, and sort of assuming that will happen. So I wouldn't be worried about that risk in the long term. But for me, this thing is trading at an enterprise value of 20 times its revenue, which only grew about 10% in the last year. So that means it's quite expensive by any measure. And that is why I would be, I'm kind of hesitant to say buy, even though I own some. I will say buy because I would buy a little bit right now, but I would just buy with so much caution and only a long-term view because the chances that this thing falls maybe 50% between now and when it doubles seems quite high to me. Mm. Okay, thank you, Claude. So I think Rudy, Claude brought up a really good point. Well, a few of them. It's good to listen to conference calls. It's good to read the detail. And that when you're investing in a company, there will always be challenges that management has to contend with, supply chain and chip shortages being one. It's whether or not you have confidence, I suppose, in management to be able to, to negotiate some of those challenges. Rudy, do you believe that uh, Audinate being conservative with its guidance is enough to offset potentially some of that risk? Yes. The only, the only thing I disagree with with Claude is uh, that he sees a potential for a 50% sell-off, which I find hard to, I mean, find to hard to, to see that happening, to be honest. Um, I mean, there's, there are other risks on the, on the radar. I mean, rising bond yields, the fact that the market might at some point uh, go for the pure valuation, for the pure value trade and then and, and ignores the technology and stuff like that. But I think the long and the short of it is those risks are, yes, they are tangible and they are there. But in, in the recent results that the, that the company uh, posted in, in August, a lot of analysts who cover this stock, they were actually surprised by how well the company had performed irrespective of all the headwinds, which includes, by the way, the fact that uh, live concerts are not, no longer happening under lockdowns. Uh, cafes are closed, pubs are closed, you name it. And, and they still performed relatively well, uh, all things considering. Now, they are not they are a relatively small cap stock. They are not profitable, uh, but they have a lot of potential. So I would argue that uh, what, what is so-called expensive looking is basically uh, an, an, an opening into that potential into the future. So I actually think that, uh, yes, you can buy the stock here. Of course, you can always try to get it cheaper, but is the market going to give it to you cheaper? What you, the best thing to do here is that you take into account that it's a relatively small cap stock, which is not profitable. So volatility can kick in at some point, but you have to take a longer term view. And if this company gets it right, which uh, at the moment, all the signals are there that it might, then this share price, whatever people like Claude might say, it looks a little bit expensive. You look back in two, three, five years time and you're going to look and you go like, really? Because the share price will be a lot, a lot and a lot higher. That is a buy. It is already in the Osbiz fantasy portfolio, probably thanks to you guys. I don't know for sure, but that's a good one. Uh, but I'm glad we got to sort of hash out that, um, you know, the, the chip shortage because it is, you know, such a, a newsworthy item right now. And I'm glad to know that our viewers are cognizant of it because we've been talking about it a lot. Let's get to the next company on the list. And I have to give a special shout out to Lyle. He's been trying to get this question answered from our team for quite some time. He's asked specifically uh, for Claude's view on this one. It is a sleep apnea specialist, OVN is the ticker code and its share price has been doing, well, actually really well over the past little while. Claude, do you know it? Give us your view. Yeah, so I do know this one because uh, I always look at med tech stuff and especially small cap stuff. I don't, look, on, there, there's two sides to this argument, right? There's, first of all, I wonder if Lyle is interested in maybe a short-term trade because 
at the moment, and I'll give you the reasoning the way you might be interested in a short-term trade. Um, at the moment, you've recently had a little um, pop in the share price. You've had directors buying. Um, I think you've had Thorny, the largest institutional holder, buy a little bit. And they've sort of said, oh, we um, move into FY22 intent on driving toward profitability, which I think is a very long way off, by the way. And this is a, basically it looks like, you know, on the chart, you know, maybe the share price has gone down, it's flattened a bit, and now it's coming up. So I can see why someone would sort of see that opportunity there. What I think is going to happen is I think that, you know, there'll probably be a little bit of um, investor relations and a little bit of, uh, you know, general positivity around the stock. And then uh, that will probably get the share price up because this thing tends to be quite liquid and it moves on like crazy. Like, it'd be great to see the five-year chart and you can see some of the insane swings this has had. Um, and basically, there you go. I mean, so that's a huge fall that it's done recently. And so, yes, look, is there a chance that this thing pops up? This has been bouncing around for years. There's a lot of hype. There's not much actual financial results to judge it on. Is there a trade in this? Maybe. But long term, that chart is trying to tell you something. And when, um, you know, when, just as when somebody tells you who they are, you've got to, you've got to believe them, um, or at least first time. This, what to me it says, is basically this company burned through 2.5 million in the last quarter. They only have about 9 million. Their revenue was like 1 million for the year. It's tiny. Um, it's going to need to raise more capital. So whenever there's, I don't know how high the share price is going to go, but they're going to probably use a high share price to raise more capital. And at the moment, if you're actually a value investor thinking of the long term, I don't see it at all. This thing's at 26 million, um, which is trading around 20 times revenue. Somnomed, which is a much more established company that has a competitive product, which is the sleep apnea device for your mouth, um, like a mouth guard, not the ResMed one. Um, they're trading on three times revenue and, and they've got director buying as well. But they're, they're a company that has the ability to actually be profitable maybe this year, but certainly soon. And, and they have, you know, some 60 million, I think, of revenue. So even though this stock as a value, as a long term investor, serious investor looking at this stock, I'm like, oh, no, thank you. But it did inspire me to look at Somnomed, which I reckon looks pretty good right now. And I've been a shareholder of that before. And, and they, it lost its way. That's another story. But I, I much prefer Somnomed at these prices, and, and I wouldn't be buying um, Aventus for the trade or anything like that. It, it's just too too difficult for me. That's your answer from Claude Lyle. Let's see if Rudy has anything to add. Of course, he's a big ResMed fan, as we well know. What do you think of Aventus Medical in the small end of the market? I know that doesn't usually interest you, Rudy. Well, it depends. Alternate interests for me. Um, Aventus... Uh, <clears throat> I'll probably stay silent as much as possible. Listen, I, I'll make this very, very clear. I mean, for my experience and for my analysis of the market, if you get the chance to buy the market leader globally in a sector that is overall growing year in, year out, you, you pick the market leader any time. I just said the, the, the return on share, for shareholders in ResMed over the past 10 years has been 1,100%. Yeah, you think you can only achieve that with with a company that has one million in revenue and no profits? You're kidding yourself, all right? And at this point in time, ResMed is the market leader in there. I, w I wouldn't even consider Somnomed. I mean, ResMed has has the has the margins, has the market share, has the management, has the has the cloud, uh, and with the D and a T in this context. And it has the products and it is and it has all the advantages that you can have of being the number one in that market what's wrong with you i mean why is lyle looking at oventus medical apart from maybe a short-term trade got it thank you <laughs> lyle there's your answer it's been a long time in coming i hope it helped you now just remember as well this information is general in nature. It's not designed for your specific financial circumstances, so you do need to always do your own research or get your own advice. Let's get to Pendle Group because Bob emailed in about this one today. Thank you, Bob. He's noted the share price drop that we've seen. It's also in response to Robin 
who says, I'd love Rudy to explain why Pendle is going backwards. He used to like it a lot. Well, today we had a funds under management update, net funds outflow of $2.3 billion. So funds under management grew, but it was because it's made that acquisition of Thompson, Siegel and Walmsley, and also some favorable foreign exchange uh, considerations. But generally speaking, Pendle has been doing it tough, Rudy. What's going on? Do you still like it? Is it a buying opportunity? Well, Nadine, um, I've been, you can't see it, but I've been scratching my head ever, ever I saw that sentence. Really liked it a lot, used to like it a lot. I'm thinking like, there must have been a context somewhere, because I don't know in what context I ever made a positive comment about Pendle, because A, I'm usually not that enthusiastic about buying fund managers or asset managers outside of Macquarie anyway. And uh, there must have been a context. Well, maybe today is that context as well. Pendle, for those who are not familiar with them, they're basically the old BT, once upon a time, operating under the Westpac uh, banner, and Westpac has gradually sold down uh, their shares, and now it's Pendle. It's predominantly a European asset manager. Um, their their UK-based Joe Hambro business, um, for a while, supported the share price because they, they were performing really, really well. But at the moment, as we all can see just from looking at, at international charts, European shares, they're not as bad as the Japanese, but they're not really keeping up with Australia or with, with the US. And that obviously uh, somehow uh, defines the Pendle business. Now, having said all that, I think after this pullback, you, you have a really juicy dividend yield on offer. And it would appear, I haven't seen today's update yet, but it would appear from recent indications that Joe Hambro in the UK is, 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 is turning around. Plus, Pendle has made that acquisition that you just mentioned, Nadine. So, on the assumption that they do get their synergies and they do get they do get things right, the share price looks quite attractive here, also carried by that dividend yield. Having said so, uh, I mean, you ha we all have to realize that it is really, really difficult for fund managers of any ilk, I mean, um, to consistently outperform the markets. And, and, and that's why you, you get fund outflows, the other thing, of course, is that you're doubling up essentially on on the share market as an extension in a fund manager. I mean, so if the share market at some stage conks out, this share price will tank as well, just because it's it's a leverage of the share market. So, I personally, I I, I like to own shares like I mean CSL, Westmed, uh, maybe Ordinate, because why is that? If the share market tanks, these guys are still selling their product. They're not necessarily linked directly one on one to the share market. So. Uh, yes, I can see the attraction of Pendle Group, but hey, keep it within a context. I mean, I have no idea why in the past I liked it. I mean, I have a positive commentary now, but I would personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it in my portfolio. I wouldn't buy it myself. Not a buy. So that's an avoid. What do you think, Claude? I mean, can you see any opportunity to get into Pendle? Why sentiment is looking you know quite weak or you know should a fund manager be doing really well when you consider the uh, overall market is up 11 percent this week this year i should say yeah well i don't see an opportunity no and i think that uh, rudy has covered the specifics of this company quite well um albeit perhaps a little bit generously the reality is Everybody must keep in mind, if you're just a normal long-term investor that wants to try to um, pick good companies and just buy and hold, and, and, and that is generally the best idea for people, unless they want to be like buying and, oh, there's a little bit of a re-rate and then selling and all that sort of stuff, um, then generally you want to go for uh, companies that are organic growers, not companies that are shrinking organically, which... With, this isn't the first time they've had outflows and their earnings has been pretty flat over the last few years. So I suspect that these guys are probably buying funds that are kind of past their heyday and that they are shrinking businesses. Now, these funds, this sort of um, funds management is a good business and I'm not saying that the investment's bad given it's quite cheap, 12.5 times earnings, good dividend yield as already said. However, it's quite possible that this business is a what you call a um, stacking melting ice cubes. So you're continually buying things that are sort of slowly melting away. And the range of outcomes when you're stacking melting outcome, uh, me uh, melting ice cubes, they're not a good range of outcomes long term. Like if you hold it long enough, 
it's going to melt. So, no. I would not buy it. Definitely not. But it's probably okay. I, I, I guess I'd call it a hold for people that want the dividend yield, but otherwise it, I would call it a sell. Stacking melting ice cubes. Is that like you can't pet all the fluffy dogs? We're going to be coining that, Claude? I've never heard it before. I actually stole that one from my dad. I can't remember <laughs> why he used it, but yeah. Uh, it's no, good. No. Definitely sticks uh, in uh, the brain. Yeah. I like right. it too, definitely. Uh, a good one. All right, let's get on to the next company on our list. This is for Catherine Live Tiles. Hey, look, it's got about 10 million in additional funding. So it raised debt, uh, debt facility with One Ventures. This is a company that has had a lot of fanfare around it at certain times. Claude, has it lived up to all the hype? I mean, certainly not. Look, the, probably the best <laughs> value I can add to viewers is to regale you with a bit of story from history. So years ago when I was uh, giving recommendations, working for a company, giving, you know, recommendations, regularly small cap stocks, I actually recommended Live Tiles when it was sort of at the beginning of, I guess, its hype journey. And it was kind of looking okay. The directors had just put in a bunch of money um, at 18 cents and it, and it looked like it had good ARR growth and all of this kind of stuff. And then I held, we had it in the service. And then what happened, I'll tell you what tipped me off to sell this stock, but I had to sell the stock is that they were, you know, they had supposedly all this great organic growth. They're on a good trajectory. And then they were putting out, you know, a lot of very... Um, very positive, arguably somewhat promotional um, announcements and the share price was going up and up and up on relatively low volumes, right? And then what they do is they go and pay Hot Copper to advertise um, on Hot Copper to the Hot Copper people to try and get the Hot Copper people to buy the shares. And that for me was the tip off where I was like, oh, time to get out of this one pretty fast. And so we managed to actually you can probably actually sell it. The first sort of peak on that chart, I, I mm -hmm. think, is, is sort of us getting out because um, basically, you know, you don't want to be buying. Um, if these guys have been in the business, that tipped me off. These guys are in the business mostly of selling shares, right? And that's indeed what we've seen. So ever since that time, the market cap sometimes has grown because they issued more shares, but the share price has gone down and down and down. And the reason for that is because these guys cannot make money. They have not made a profit for a really long time. They got large amounts of revenue now. Their product, I'm not going to get all stuck into all of the problems with their product because it'll take too long. But basically, um, it sits on top of a Microsoft product. They're not at a strong point in the technology stack, which basically means um, it's not a very high quality software business. And a lot of people then look at, oh, it's such a low multiple of recurring revenue, but it's not really... It should be able to make a profit. You know, why is it borrowing money if it's got so much revenue and it's a software company? It should be able to make profit if it needed to. I could go on and on. I won't, but it's a strong... Even though, like, I'm sure the share price will jag up again at some point when there's some excitement about AI or something, I would avoid it unless you want to play that kind of hype cycle. Rudy, I saw you shaking your head before, meaning it had not lived up to the hype that I alluded to. Is there any reason to no. buy live tiles? Uh, no, um, I, 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 I'm going to I'm going to take a little bit of a different angle than Claudius because this, this is also a very educational uh, broadcast we have here. I think more money goes lost every single year in the share market by people trying to put money in cheap looking stocks. And you know what? They stay cheap or they become even cheaper. Um, people are way too much focused on, on, on so-called valuation metrics in the share market, on my observation, and, and they underestimate or they ignore, pay no attention to the, the, the quality of the company that is behind the share price that's moving. And um, uh, on a very simplistic uh, observation, a quality stock does not derate just like Lifetilers has done over the past and doesn't do all these things that Claude has just been pointing out. Um, the other the other element is that uh, people, when it comes to small caps and micro caps, I believe uh, overemphasize the attractiveness of the of the products that those companies have because it's always exciting and it's always a lot of potential. And um, I mean, just coming back to to ResMed earlier, I mean, I have subscribers who cannot get themselves to buying shares in ResMed because they are users of the product. 
those CPAP uh, masks, mm -hmm. and they hate it. They hate it. I mean, mm -hmm. it, and I can only if I look at those clunky things, I can only imagine it's not a it's not a it's not a particularly uh, good night you're having. But the thing is, you underestimate the market positioning, the growth that those com that those companies achieve with a product that is not sexy. Mm -hmm. And there are there are millions of companies out there, small caps, micro caps, mid caps that have at face value very sexy products and they don't go anywhere with with the, with their business and that's more than anything else is a lesson to draw for investors i think when it comes to lifestyles dom of course it'll jump at some stage like claude says but long term man resmed yeah well <laughs> you're driving that point home i think we got it resmed is the one let's get to the next on the list and this is a question for you rudy specifically next dc ah. for jeff hey jeff ah saying, can we get your view again on NextDC? Are you still bullish uh, holding NextDC, considering the CEO just sold a significant part of its holding? Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's nice, nice to mention that one. I'll, 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 I'll throw some other companies in. Uh, Ramsey Healthcare, Wisetech Global. If, the, if there's one CEO selling in this market, it's been, it's been uh, Richard White at Wisetech Global. Look at how that share price has performed. Um, I think, again, um, it's nice for traders and for short-term momentum players to sell a stock when the CEO is selling. I mean, works every time, but as an investor, it's usually, in particular when it comes to high-quality companies like NextDC, for example, it usually is an ideal in-step moment and to get on board. Um, to go to the question, I mean, I've, 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 I've sang the prices of, of, uh, of ResMed, I could easily do the same thing for NextDC. I mean, at face value, not profitable. That's for people who don't understand how business models like NextCC work. I think the, the key to focus on is the fact that we are all uh, using and generating more and more data. I mean, um, I believe that 90% of all the data that we've ever generated in history has been produced over the past year or so. And that's a trend that is not going to stop. I mean. Next, next stop, we will have electric vehicles, we will we'll have automated driving, we will have the coffee machine communicating with the fridge and, and, the, and the supermarket. I mean, data usage is, is only going to explode further. Now, that's not the only story, of course. At some stage, we might get to a stage where there is actually uh, competitive pricing in, in the storage of data through data centers. That is possible at some point in the future. It hasn't happened, and I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, which means NextCC is a screaming buy at anything that, that sells off. It sells off because investors are being led by the fact that it's a so-called technology company, which actually it isn't, it's infrastructure, and it's not profitable, which there's a very valid reason why it isn't profitable, and it doesn't pay a dividend, by, go, by golly goodness, no, because it needs to develop those, those, those data centers. But... Is it cheap here? Yes, it is. It luckily is rallying over the past few days. It should be rallying a lot further and it will at some point. So it's a buy today. Let's get to Claude and your view on NextDC. Claude, any updated thinking on it? Look, I, look, Rudy knows this company better than I, so I'll. So we should keep that in mind. Um, what, I will, what I will say though is that um, even though this business has a good tailwind and it's a good business, the pricing doesn't make sense to me at all at, at $5.5 billion. And the, even if we take, you know, so the, they, they offer this underlying EBITDA number, which is, you know, it's not really profit or anything, but I guess it's like provided as somewhat of a proxy, uh, proxy for like measuring pro, uh, profitability. They're trading at 40 times underlying EBITDA. Like that's not earnings, by the way. So to me, um, there's, a lot, there's like a lot of growth post um priced in and to my mind i have always been of the view that more competition is potentially always on the way to these guys and that the quality of the business looks really good now when we're in a hyper growth phase for data centers but once we reach maturity we may find that the actual quality of the business is more competitive and less attractive than we thought so that has been my concern why I wouldn't pay the current prices. Now, I'm not going to give it a sell. And the reason I'm not going to say sell is because I've been saying something like what I just said mm. since this stock was less than half the price. So I've been wrong. Now, and that means maybe I'm going to still be wrong. 
So therefore, just because I am not sure of what I believe, I would say it's probably a hold. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, have the conviction to say sell. But to me, I'm not buying just because I've got that concern. Got it. Thank you, guys. Let me let you have a bit of a break. I'll wrap things up thus far. And we started with a stock for a crash from both of my guests. But I'm going to give Rudy a pass on his two picks. He said, uh, yeah, if you go to the criteria at Macquarie, he would always buy that in some sort of a crash. In fact, so would Claude, so would I. <laughs> just putting it out there. Let's get to his real pick, which was ResMed. It's just a long-term rewarding exposure in telehealth. It has growth ahead of it. Quality is what Rudy goes for for the long term. Claude would buy Australian Ethical on a pullback. He says that it's very high quality. And its main client base are millennials, and millennials have quite a runway for you know, expanding in this area. And you also get the ESG principles along with it, which is only growing. So those are the two picks for a crash. The companies that have been nominated by you guys for some analysis, Audinate. It's a double buy from both of my guests. It's already in the Ausbiz Fantasy portfolio. Let's leave it there. Hey, it's conservative with its guidance. Claude says he doesn't have too many concerns about the chip shortage because the company knows about it. They're taking their actions to, uh, you know, manage their supply very actively. This is a long-term view for Claude, though. So there is a bit of caution because he does think that it could be volatile. Rudy doesn't see that. He says, look, there's other risks. If you saw bond yields rising, the value trade completely taking over, but he still thinks it's a buy. We're going to look back on this one again and be kicking ourselves potentially if not. Aventus Medical, Lyle, I hope you're watching, listening, however you consume this show. Uh, Claude questions whether you're in it for a short-term trade. He wouldn't even necessarily do that. It burns through cash. There's not much actual financial metrics behind it. It could use the share price to raise more capital. He would rather be in Sonomed in the space. Rudy poo-poo's that. He says, ResMed, if you want any exposure to the space, don't kid yourself. Go for ResMed. Pendle Group, it's not a buy for Rudy. Look, any fund manager has difficulty consistently outperforming the market. Claude says, look, while it's cheap, it is a stacking, melting ice cubes business. Potentially, it's not a buy. It's an avoid for both of my guests. Number four on the list, Live Tiles. Don't believe the hype. It's uh, spruiking to hot copper was the nail in the coffin for Claude. He's glad he got out. It doesn't make money on large revenues. Why does it need to get a debt facility? It's an avoid for him. Rudy says cheap and sexy is not always good. Avoid. All right, next DC, it's a buy for Rudy. He's a long-term lover of this company. He thinks that it is a screaming buy on any potential further pullback, but it's a buy today. Not so for Claude. He has his questions. It's a hold for him. You just heard his reasoning. I don't need to repeat it. Let's get across this fantasy portfolio that we've been talking about and alluding to. Thank you. Huge thanks to our partner at NapTrade. All the companies that get a thumbs up or a buy from both of our guests on the day go into the portfolio. Now, let's get a check on how we've been performing one week up by 2%. So outperforming the broader index one month up by 1.5% in the financial year to date, 6.5, well, close to 6.6%. But over the past, well, year and a half, pretty much. So since its inception, which was back on the July 1st, 2020, the fund is up by 44 percent or roundabout there. We recently added Ingham's, we recently added Wise Tech Global, Whitehaven Coal, and HT&E. We recently removed Sandfire Resources, Adair's, Nick Scali, and A2 Milk. If you want to see all of the companies yourself, you just have to go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and we update you every day as to how the portfolio is tracking. Hey, don't go anywhere when this program wraps. We've got programming that continues to delight. In fact, we'll get all the latest on BetaShares, planning to launch a crypto-focused equities ETF in the coming weeks. We'll take a look under the hood with the head of digital assets, Justin Arizon, Arzadon, excuse me, joining us here just past three o'clock. 
Let's crack on with it, shall we, guys? Time check, 20 minutes left. Let's get to Schaefer Corporation. This is for David. SFC is the ticker code. It's got investments in building materials, automotive leather, and property. I'm going to go to you, Claude, on this one first. Is it your cup of tea? Not my normal cup of tea, but it is actually a very interesting company, and it just so, I guess, a great mind to think alike. But I actually finally pulled the trigger and bought uh, a little, very tiny holding in Schaefer Corporation just to keep it on my radar um, as a as a potentially really good dividend stock. Now, um, what Schaefer is is basically uh, an investment company that owns a few, uh, a bunch of different assets. Uh, principally uh, property and but also some listed and unlisted equities and then um, it has an 83% owned automotive leather business, uh, business which is finishing cutting and, and um, basically distributing around the world for different uh, car manufacturers and over the years um, this this automotive leather business has been, like basically grown fairly solidly and the property investments have been pretty good as well but it's sort of controlled by um the founders so um basically you have to um just sort of get comfortable with sort of you're in their hands and they're going to invest their management's going to invest in what they like and um as a shareholder i think that the main value that you potentially get out of it is a um gradually growing dividend yield which is how they um they have a long history of sort of sharing the pro sharing the benefits with all shareholders and that's kind of what you want to see so i do think it's actually an interesting one now just uh, a word of caution you'll see um the profit did actually pump uh, jump up like 65 percent in the last year but that was mostly just a covid recovery so sort of more closely just bouncing back to where it was before COVID interrupted their uh, manufacturing operations there. But yeah, look, it's an interesting one. Definitely not my general cup of tea, but I do like to have a few dividend stocks in the portfolio. And yeah, this is definitely one that I think is a, probably an attractive little known dividend stock. It's probably a little bit cheaper than it should have because it should be because it's not liquid enough for most funds to look into or anything like that. So yeah, I like it. And so I'll call it, um, I will. I would call it a buy. There's been a bit of director buying lately as well. Um, I will call it a buy, but just with that caveat being that um, I've only taken a really small holding in this one. And, you know, as a result, you'd have to say my conviction's pretty low. I'm just interested in keeping an eye on it as a potential dividend stock. Thank you, Claude. Um, is it too small for you, a potential lobster trap, Rudy? <laughs> you know me too well, uh, the two of you. Uh, well, one thing to add here, uh, that, that this is something that came to mind. I, mean, I agree with, with Claude, it looks interesting from the onset, but this is a relatively small company and it has all these different operations, I mean, which to me tells me every single one of their operations is small, even smaller than the company as a, as a, as a composite, of course. And I think that the, the, the element missing here is, well, Claude already touched upon the liquidity. I think it's way too low for, for serious investors. And, and the other thing is uh, buying micro cap stocks for dividends in itself comes with a lot of risk because if anything happens, that dividend will go out the window before you, before you can say Schaefer Corporation. Uh, so very quickly. <laughs> um, and, and, and that is, I think investors should always pay attention to risk. I mean, investing in this type of really, really small cap stocks, we, we, reason, we, we earlier spoke about Oventus Medical, we spoke about uh, Life Tiles. Uh, we, we are gonna mention another one uh, later in the program. At some stage, they all have their rallies, they all have their fans and their positive news uh, announcements, but you come back a little bit at a later date and the share price has tanked. Not, not even stable, tanked. And that's what happens with small cap stocks. And that's the risk. And then you really have to know what you're doing and you have to pick your moment, momentum there. Mm -hmm. Got it. Thank you. Well, you guys, you're not supposed to agree on everything. The market would not be, well, it wouldn't be the market, would it? Let's get on to Dicker Data. I'm going to start with you on this one, Rude. Um, sorry, Claude. Harry is asking, does the recent pullback present an opportunity here? It's one of the least talked about tech stocks on the ASX, you've got to say. And uh, speaking of, dividends at least being paid to 
uh, directors. There's a story there. Claude, what do you think of Dicker Data now at these levels? Um, well, like Schaefer Corporation, I think of it as a dividend stock. And I might just add, I think Schaefer's paid a growing in div um, dividend for the last five years. And it's um, run by this, the son uh, of the founder, whose name is Schaefer. And so I think it's a, they, I think they will do everything they can to keep playing a dividend. But anyway, um, as, as same same story um, is that uh, Dicker Data pays a dividend every year, and that's been growing. And it's also controlled by its founder, who's also its namesake, yeah. um, David Dicker. So it's actually really funny that we got those two together. And um, I own Dicker Data as one of my larger holdings, and I have for a long time, and I followed it for a long time. And I have a great admiration for the CFO and COO who run it as well. And they have been um, topping up their shareholdings at around current prices, suggesting that they do think it's a good time to top up share, top out your holdings, right? And so what has spooked the market there, you can see that it's just dropped down quite heavily, is that we've had the situation where David Dicker has sold a bunch of shares, you know, presumably, oh, actually, I think he gave his reasons. He wanted to buy a private jet or something and um, probably, you know, buy more race cars as well. Mm -hmm. And... So, you know, of course, he can do that. That's fine by me. He doesn't take a salary, and he mostly gets his money out of the company through a dividend, which share, which shares it around to everyone. So I don't see that as a problem. Now, I sort of see that as a bounce trade maybe, but in terms of actual pure valuation, I probably do want this on a bit of a higher yield because as a dividend stock, I'd be more looking up uh, to pick it up on a forecast yield of at least 4%, for example. So... Or, or maybe at least around that ballpark. At the moment, I think we're on 2.3 or 2.6. I, I apologize, the number escapes me. But the point is that for me, I would probably want it, if I was going to really add to my holding, which is already like my sixth or fifth largest holding, I would probably want to get it a bit cheaper on a bit better yield. So for me, probably $10, $11, that's where I want to buy. So I'll call it a hold for now, um, all things considered, though, you know, if you're just a bit more patient and willing to accept a little bit less return, it's probably still a buy. But for my my specific portfolio, what I'm trying to do with my portfolio, I want to. It's a dividend stock for me, so I want a slightly higher yield. So I want the share price a little bit lower. Dicker hold. data for you, Rudy. Buy, hold, or sell. Well, here's here's a message for Jeff. Jeff, did you hear Claude saying the CEO has sold shares and he still doesn't think it's a, it's a bad stock to own? Uh, there's a message in there. Yeah. I totally agree with with Claude. By the way, if you can if you can own companies that uh, uh, increase their dividends year in year out, then you can ignore the daily volatility and the share price will will trend upwards. That that that's a given. I would at this point probably consider Dicadata a, a a halt as well. And 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 Claude knows this company a lot better than I do, but. Steadily growing dividends are, the, are, are one of the secret ingredients for a very profitable long-term investment portfolio in the share market. Got it. Control Bionics is the next on the list. Life-changing single solutions for those living with motor impairment and speech difficulties. So technology to help those who are disabled. This is for Bell. CBL is the ticker code. Rudy, what's your take? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's an idea. I wouldn't even call this a company, to be honest. It's an idea. Um, I believe um, Morgan's, I think, is, is covering the stock, but probably because they have a corporate relationship with them. Um, for me, for me, it's uh, I mean, on the risk scale. I mean, I hope people understand that you don't necessarily treat the share market like a casino. And, and, and when you want to have a long-term strategy, it's all about managing and reducing risk. It's not about taking risk, it's about managing and reducing risk. I don't even know where to start with a company like this, how, how you can manage your risk or reduce it. So I would uh, uh, avoid, is there an avoid basket on this yep. program? Yeah, <laughs> we've, we've established that a long time ago. You can say, go nowhere near it if you like. <laughs> And I think that's what Barge you're saying. Ball. What Barge would you say, ball. Claude? Is there any redeeming qualities about control bionics? Because if people didn't have a go at creating these new innovative technologies, if people didn't have ideas, well, we'd be in a bit of a pickle, wouldn't we? Well, yeah. Well, at least those people that need these devices, basically, that allow them to use computers and iPads and, and devices using just their eyes and the electrical impulse from their brain, right? That's 
that's their innovation. So I own some Control Bionics shares, and the innovation that these guys have made is that that they can like pick up just the um, electrical impulse of somebody trying to move a muscle rather than actual need any actual movement. So that for people that are like locked in or they have paralysis, paralysis or there are various, you know, dis, you know, diseases and stuff that lead to people needing this kind of help, is that you know they can now use um, a computer much more easily because there's already existing technology that other people have that um, tracks the eyes and all of that. And then Control Bionics has the software that they need to use. And then it also has this device that picks up on the click um, or at least sort of the intention to move a muscle. And that can be your hand or your leg or wherever there's still um, a good amount of electricity coming from the, the brain. And I think that, you know, that shows that it is, um, you know, a company with a mission and exactly the kind of business that I love to support. Now, having said that, Rudy's not completely wrong when he says, you know, it's more of an idea. They are really just scaling up now. So their last uh, their last results were a little bit disappointing in the sense that uh, I think that they didn't grow their revenue as much as I would have liked to see. I think it was four million up on three million in the prior year. But on the plus side, its gross margin was 64%, which is not too bad for a company that's so early and it's scaling up. Now, excluding the IPO costs, they mm -hmm. lost about 2.7 million and it has about 12 million in cash. So I don't see them, like they're obviously being careful with costs and respectful of the cash that they do have, which I love to see. Yeah. And basically they have still multiple years at the current level of cash burn. Um, so on, on top of that, you've got uh, them having, you know, it saying that despite the pandemic, they've been able to increase the sales and marketing presence in Australia and the US. Uh -huh. And um, they've just, they said, we have a growing team and burgeoning market reputation for the high quality and effectiveness of our technology. Now, if that proves to be true, what that's talking about is real organic sales growth, which is definitely what we need to see. Yep. So that would be great. So what I did, uh, I was a little bit disappointed by the results and I took, I sold some of my shares at about 70 cents, I think, but I'm still holding some. Now we're down at about 60 cents. It's closer to a buy for me, to be quite frank. Um, it's hard for me to ch choose between a buy and a hold just because I was slightly, I was hoping for slightly better results, but I still feel that it's quite positive. So at 60 cents, I'd say it's, it's getting close to a buy certainly want to go when it goes below that ipo price i'd be more interested in buying that's what okay. i'm waiting for at the moment so i'll call it a i'll call it a very tentative buy right now actually but um just keep in mind rudy's right it's super high risk so you so i have a very small holding got it thank you um objective corporation is the next on the list for darren i, I think we spoke about this guys a little while ago so let's just keep it brief can we uh claude i'll start with you is objective corporation today a buy, hold, or sell? So basically, for me, I feel like I sort of have to say it's a buy because it's one of my biggest shareholdings. Um, having said that, I did take a little bit of profit recently just sort of for personal reasons. I've been needing to take profit in a lot of stuff. Um, so, you know, it's quite pricey, which is why I was willing to sell some shares. What these guys do is they have, you know, software basically that's aimed at government uh, we had a great chat about this a couple of weeks ago, but uh, you know, for me, it's it's a it's a very small buy, but really, I'm probably just it's probably safer to say hold at these prices, put it that way. But I like it a lot. I think it's a high quality company, founder led, um, really aligned management, uh, good business model, growing organically mm -hmm. and by acquisition, and also the exciting thing about it, which is why it might be a buy is because it's sort of at that point where it's getting sort of towards index inclusion and stuff and that can that can cause passive funds to become sorry claude you're gonna buys. have to say a buy or a hold today based on price i'm, I'm gonna, gonna i'm gonna put the well, nails it's moved in. up it's moved up a little bit and up so i will say hold but you know with the caveat that i obviously do love it a lot it's yeah. a big holding of mine rudy what do you have to add about objective yes. It's a hold and my view hasn't changed. It's still a mini Technology One, which it is. Uh, the founder of Technology One is now the chairman, so there's there's some alignment. I wouldn't buy 
Technology One here either, by the way, it has performed exceptionally well in recent times. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everything that Claude said, it, I think it's a hold here. Got it. Thank you. And uh, Bank of Queensland last on the list. Lucky last, well, to start goes to you, Rudy. I mean, it had its update coming out yesterday. Uh, look, the share price got sold down on what on the face was a pretty good result. I suppose there's some there's some questions around the turn of plan, around plan, momentum, uh, net interest margins, the rest of it. How do you feel about Bank of Queensland in that banking basket, Rudy? It's a very, very good question, in particular the way you formulated it, Nadine, because if you hadn't, I would have. Uh, it's, investors are always interested in buying the cheaper one and the smaller one. And, and in particular, in the banking sector, you will find that the best performing bank through the cycles is Commonwealth Bank, which is the largest and the most expensive one, expensive one between quotation marks. So Bank of Queensland might well be at this point in time the cheapest in the sector, but there's, there's probably reasons for it. It's not as well equipped as the other banks. It has more risk. It doesn't perform as well. It doesn't have as easy access to capital and it actually pays more for access to its capital. So yes, in the short term, it looks it looks attractive. It will it will pay you that, uh, that dividend. It will frank it. It will uh, integrate uh, the Mi Bank uh, in, its, in its operations, and there might be a positive surprise coming from it. But if you really have a long-term view, you buy Commonwealth Bank, no questions asked. There you go. So I would say I, I would say it's it's a hold at best. Hold at best. How about you? I mean, Claude, we know that it's not your bag to be buying the big banks, but is this a father-in-law kind of company? I mean, what are the chances of seeing? Uh, capital returns on top of dividends in terms of Bank of Queensland? Well, I, I couldn't tell you the chances, to be honest, because obviously that 10-year uh, chart's had a few big ups and downs in it, um, not being the best performance performing uh, bank, as Rudy says. Uh, in regards to the father-in-law stock question, no, it's not. I mean, the uh, the whole thing of what you what I would, you know, I say to my father-in-law is, you know, not the banks. Let's find better stuff than the banks, basically. Um, and obviously, you know, that's been that's been huge. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, I think that for, uh, you know, a certain older generations, like there's a certain love of um, investing in the banks because a lot of uh, those people were investors when like there was the, the IPO of Commonwealth Bank, for example, and they, yeah. you know, got in early and had massive returns. But I don't think we're it's not going to be like that in the future. Australia has expensive banks compared to the rest of the world. So I'm not like saying they're terrible investments or anything, but no, you know, I'll say a hold, basically, but definitely not a buy for me. No, no excitement there. There you go. No fun in that. That was for Shani. Thank you so much for all of the questions that have come through, some of the email commentary that is always coming in as well through the program. Thanks, everybody, for watching. And a huge thanks to Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Rudy Philippek van Dyke from FN Arena for joining us and sharing your insights, as always. That flew by. Thanks very much. Hope you guys have a really good weekend. We'll see you soon. All right, I'll just cap it, recap it. Uh, for those of you out there who care, we had for Next DC a buy. In fact, a screaming buy coming from, actually, that was for the last little list. Schaefer Corporation, let's move on to that. It is a buy for Claude. In fact, he recently bought some. It's controlled by founders. It's illiquid. He's got a very small holding, little known, but it does actually pay as dividend, and he believes that it will continue to do so. It's in the director's interests. Uh, Rudy just points out to the riskiness and the liquidity, although he says it does look pretty interesting. Dicker Data is a hold for Rudy. It is a hold just because of price for Claude. Of course, you know that he holds it. He believes it's a good dividend play. He likes the COO and the CFO topping up. He would look to buy it between 10 and $11. Control Bionics, it's an avoid. Rudy says the share market's not a casino. This is an idea at best. Claude likes the idea, in fact. So he actually does own some shares. He says it's respectful of cash. It is scaling up. It's on a mission. But again, on price, he would look to be buying it at, uh, at a lower price than where it's sitting right now. So it's not a buy today. Objective Corporation, it's a hold for Rudy. And that's because of price. He does still believe that it's a mini technology one. You know, Rudy, you know that he likes technology one. It's a hold for Claude as well because he did take some profit. It's looking a little pricey at this 
point. But he still does like it, so keep that in mind with Objective. And if you want to listen to their commentary from the previous episode, which wasn't really that long ago, uh, keep in mind that you can listen to all of these episodes. They're archived on our website, and you can listen to them in podcast form as well. That's the program for today. As I said, huge thanks to our guests. Huge thanks to you all for emailing in. We love getting them. The call at ausbiz.com.au, or you can tweet us at ausbiztp. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.